0: This is History and D&D. In our last episode, we covered the overproduction at TSR and the sale of that company to Wizards. I wasn't playing D&D at that time. I was mostly driving around small towns, cities, going to college, listening to Britpop, dancing to Britpop. I was aware of the gaming things that were going on. And some friends were still playing. Some went to conventions. Others had actually stopped playing as well. The last game I played was in the early 2000s or the late 90s. I have a really good friend who's a great DM, and he had moved to Oshawa. And we played one final game, although maybe we didn't know it was the final game at that point in time. Before that, it had probably been over a year since I'd last played. Throughout that time, I was on many, many D&D-related websites. They were popping up all over the place. Especially a website about a purported Dragonlance movie based on the Chronicles trilogy. It was all rumors and fan casting, and the movie never went anywhere. It's probably still out there. I checked on it about five years ago. Doesn't look like it had been updated since 2002. I was going on that thing all the time. Now, a Dungeon Dragons movie did come out in 2000, but the less said about that and its director video sequels, the better if we jump back in time a little bit, back to the early history, there were many novels based on Dungeons and & Dragons, and they got to the New York Times bestseller list. Starting with Dungeons and & Dragons and most of the books involving Drisdell Erden, but there were other books in between that also got to the bestseller list, and there was a D&D cartoon that ran for three seasons in 1983. The general public was aware at that time of D&D, But again, the satanic panic would set in, and the depictions of D&D, or the discussion about D&D, would turn negative. Later, it would generally just fall out of the public consciousness. One of the earliest depictions of D&D being played on film was in the movie E.T. in 1982. In 1993, there was a Simpsons episode, Homer Goes to College. The titular character describes playing D&D and being slain by an elf, but he's mocked by his children for playing. That is, uh, maybe a thing that began in the late 80s or 90s. Uh, people started to be mocked for playing D&D, although maybe from the very beginning they were. But it became much more of a thing. As in, it was either ignored, or if people were aware of others that played Dungeons and Dragons, they were mocked for it. The 1994 song by Weezer, In the Garage, one of my favorites, I like to see as a turning point. It's about the comforts found there, and one of them is D&D, because the uh, rock stars in Weezer liked playing D&D. Or at least River Cuomo did. Freaks and Geeks, which first aired in 1999, and depicted characters who, among other things, played D&D, The final episode in 2000 involves the character played by James Franco playing his first game of Dungeons Dragons. And I remember first watching this on the DVDs, and I was flabbergasted that they had characters playing Dungeons & Dragons on a TV show, and they were actually playing Dungeons & Dragons. It wasn't a poor representation. Later on Futurama... Gary Gax provided his own voice when he appeared on an episode in 2000, and a later episode in 2008 called Bender's Game had a D&D-based episode. In 2000, an episode of that 70s show depicted a game of D&D, and in 2003, the final episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer depicted some of the characters playing D&D before going off to save the world. In the sitcom Big Bang Theory, first aired in 2007, had a 12-year run, and it focused on geeky characters who, among other things, played Dungeons & Dragons. And there was a D&D-focused episode. I didn't watch the show, uh, but I do know of at least one D&D-focused episode in which uh, Sheldon helps a colleague deal with her pregnancy through Dungeons & Dragons. Also, the TV show Community had two D&D episodes, one in 2011 and one in 2014. And then, of course, the mother of all cultural references to D&D came with the TV show Stranger Things, which aired on Netflix in 2016. The plot of this show takes elements from D&D, and the characters begin the first episode with a realistic depiction of play. And it's every bit as good as the Freaks and Geeks episode. In fact, maybe it's a little bit better, even though... I'm not a big fan of Stranger Things. I don't dislike it. I'm just not interested in it. As I said, the culture had changed in the mid-90s. So there was no satanic panic. People just ignored or mocked D&D. The outraged parents had moved on to first-person shooters. And later, they'd move on to screen time. There was a vacuum of information about D&D in the general population. But it began to creep back into the mainstream culture. Gamer culture was growing and it would begin to explode in the 2000s. Jumping back in time, Lake Geneva Convention, or Gen Con Zero, was held in 1967 and had 12 people in attendance at Gary's house. By 1980, there were 4,500 people. It stayed at roughly around 5,000 people in the 80s, 10,000 by 1989, and averaged 20,000 people in the 90s, and was in Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, or Minneapolis, Wizards acquired the rights to Pokemon in 98, and then Hasbro bought Wizards in 1999. Hasbro then sold Gen Con to the Wizards founder and CEO, Peter Atkinson, in 2002, and Gen Con moved to Indianapolis in 2003. By 2010, it had 30000 in attendance. Lucasfilm sued in 2008, and Gen Con went into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Both companies moved to dismiss the case later that year as they worked out their issues. This is because in 2007, Gen Con was a hosting entity for Star Wars Celebration 4 in Los Angeles. There was a dispute over the payments and charity payouts that Lucasfilm claimed Gen Con out, and they claimed Lucasfilm failed to pay them for the cost of their booth and other costs. The suit was dismissed because it was worked out by the two companies. Gary Gygax also passed away in 2008, and GaryCon Zero was held in Lake Geneva by his family and virtually around the world by fans. This would later become an annual convention called GaryCon. By 2019, GenCon had 70,000 people in attendance. I attended GenCon in 2019, and the year before, in 2018, I attended GaryCon. Now, as I've said... The last conventions I went to was Pandemonium in the 90s in Toronto at Ryerson University. So, Gary Kahn was similar but larger and very comfortable and had a nice dealer's area, but it wasn't very large and it didn't take much time to get through. I like the dealer's areas. Now, I went with my friend Sean. And we solidly booked every minute we could with different free ticketed events. I didn't get onto the registration soon enough to get the the high-profile ones that I wanted, like Ravenloft by Tracy Hickman. You really got to get on that one. But we did have a solid booking of things. By the end of it, however we discovered that uh, our schedule was a little too tight. So by the time we attended Gen Con the next year, we decided not to book anything and to just basically buy generic tickets and drop in on whatever we felt like, which was good because we weren't expecting it to take two days to get through the dealer area because we had to see every single booth and... Then go back and decide what it is that we wanted to purchase. But I did play Starfinder for the first time. Both of us did, in fact, and it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. There was some mission starts on a on a ship. I, I it it probably showcases the capabilities of of uh, of the the system, and you have a ship, your party. There's this massive alien invasion coming, and there's these disparate regions and species that haven't worked together before. And you're at a conference after fighting one of the alien ships. And you're trying to convince the ambassadors of these different factions to join in the cause. And each person has skills and capabilities, and you want to match them up with the... the, the goals and agendas of the of the uh, ambassadors, and you do this with uh, intelligence role finding out what those are. Now, there's one ambassador that is nearly impossible to convince, but their species is generally focused on trade and capitalism and profits. So I played a construct an android of some kind. And I went into this big, long speech about how there'd be this massive war and there'd have to be a ramping up of military technology and, and, and tonnage and all these things, and that this species would be on the forefront of that. If they invested now, then they could maximize the profits. And then in the new world that was created, After this war, they would become the central pillar of the military-industrial complex. Now, the Game Master was impressed by my speech and gave me a bit of a bonus, but it was still a very high roll that I had to make with a skill that I had very few bonuses in. So I didn't actually make the roll. But I did enjoy that. In 1987, just to go back a little, Gary Gygax had estimated that 5 million people played the game. By 2018, Wizards of the Coast estimated that 13.7 million people played. We're talking mostly about the 2000s here, and during that time, as I said, friends of mine were attending conventions like Gen Con, Origins, and Dragon Con. And I had been to a local convention in the 90s called Pandemonium. But I didn't have the time for them during the 2000s. I'd like to depict the sales of D&D throughout its history, but really it's a murky subject and I don't think anyone has a handle on the numbers. But early sales are definitely harder to find as TSR didn't keep great, great records, and Lorraine Williams later kept them secret. Also, Wizards Obscures and massages the numbers a little in uh, their uh, public reports to their shareholders. But various estimates indicate Basic and Advanced D&D outsold 2nd edition. There seems to be consensus that 5th edition outsold 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. What's murky is when it comes to 4th versus 3rd, people think that 3rd probably outsold 4th, but we don't really know. You can infer that this was the case because 4th competed with Pathfinder which was a rival company uh, Paizo creation based on 3rd edition rules and Pathfinder seemed to outsell 4th edition. In general one could argue that DD surged in the 70s and the 80s did a pullback in the mid 80s and a retracement by the mid-90s. And by the 2000s, it was probably rebounding again and continued to grow. Its most explosive growth since the 80s was probably in 2004 when 5th edition launched. I'd like to talk about 3rd edition. And keep in mind, I didn't play 3rd edition, so I'm in no way an expert. But I am open to playing it, and I'd like to play it. Uh just haven't gotten the chance yet. It was released in the year 2000, and I think it really set the stage for the growth of the hobby. It was innovative, both as a game and as a sales and marketing strategy. What do I mean by that? Let's go back to the 90s. Shareware was free software developed by independent programmers and small publishers. Games like Duke Nukem, Commander Keen, Wolfenstein 3D, Scorched Earth, and Doom were offered for free on the earliest form of public internet, which was mostly BBSs. This advanced the idea of open license software to the general masses and helped popularize it. So some genius at Wizards decided to create an open license game. d and would become the Unix, Linux of tabletop games, software with pen and paper. They created the D20 system under an open-gaming license, and it worked brilliantly. There was an explosion of other games that used the system from other publishers, both big and small. So what did that do? Many people learned that these games originated from D&D, and they could be drawn back there. Also, it created goodwill for the product, rebounding from some of the bad will 2nd edition had generated. Later, a 3.5 edition came out, which updated and revised the system. By the time 4th edition was announced in 2007, as I said, a company named Paizo started to create Pathfinder, which was a clone of D&D, using the 3.5 Open Game License Rules. It was published in 2009. Pathfinder likely outsold 4th edition D&D, but I contend both companies did well, and counterintuitively, Wizards got the better of the deal. This is my opinion, of course, I'm sure it could be argued either way. The two games were now very different. But they opened up the market to choice, and it appears they expanded the player base. Also, the competition spurred wizards to both innovate and focus on core competencies. I think that without Pathfinder, 5th edition wouldn't have been as well done or as received as warmly by the community. Like I said, I never played 3rd edition. During this time, I was working on my career. I had worked at a dog food plant before leaving my small town to live in Toronto and my early jobs in Toronto basically paid the bills. I worked at a construction company assembling balcony rails as a cook's assistant, and then I moved to call centers where I eventually got promoted to supervisor and management positions. But this didn't work out too well for me, so by the mid-2000s, I moved back to my small town. There I wrote a novel, briefly worked for the financial division of Honda, delivered for a Canadian restaurant called Swiss Chalet, and drove a cab. In 2008, I moved to Vancouver, where I worked as a cook, a busboy at a nightclub, and finally to eBay. eBay closed up its office there after the recession of 2008, and I excitedly returned back to Ontario with a new perspective in outlook. Meanwhile, changes were coming to the game I loved, and I would begin to think more and more about getting back into it. As this period of the 2000s was mostly about Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition, I think it's important to discuss Eberron. It's a DD and d setting that combines traditional elements within the Dungeons & Dragons game and fantasy in general. And it combines them with a mixture of fantasy and pulp aspects with a noirish bent. Witches of the Coast created a fantasy setting search, which was a competition for a new setting in D&D in 2002. Keith Baker... The creator of Eberron won the competition, and the setting was published in 2004. Now, Keith Baker is on a podcast called Manifest Zone. I've listened to it. It's pretty good, and it goes into a very deep dive of Eberron, and it does so with the creator. So I, I can't see uh, not recommending that podcast if you're interested in Eberron. The Eberron Campaign Setting Book won the Origins Award for Best role playing Game Supplement in 2005. My experience with the setting has been limited. At first, I'd just hear about it, and then I saw some of the books. I finally became fully immersed in it in 2006 when I played the MMO Dungeons & Dragons online. In my opinion, this is the best video game representation of D&D so far. It had a narrator describing dripping water in the sewers, it had traps you needed to find and disarm, and a 20-sided die rolling in the bottom right corner as you made your attacks. It was a first-person action video game using almost all the rule set of 3rd edition, and I loved it. Eberron itself is a fantastic achievement, and pairing it with a massively multiplayer online game helped display the fun of d and to those who did play D&D and and did not Now, once you start talking about MMOs, you can't avoid discussing the elephant in the room, World of Warcraft. It was released in 2004 as a spin-off of Blizzard Entertainment's Warcraft strategy games, and for a very long time, it was the be-all and end-all of video games. Almost everyone I knew who played video games had played it. I tried it for a while, and it wasn't for me. There's a lot of walking around in that early game. I much preferred DDO and City of Heroes. D&D Online, scratched my Dungeons & Dragons itch, and City of Heroes was just a fantastic game because of its innovation, and it started off with the ability to really customize the look of your character. But unfortunately, City of Heroes is defunct, even though there's a small group of, I guess you could call them rebels, that have secretly, not so secretly, brought it back. But I'm not really sure if it lives up to its legacy. What's undeniable is that World of Warcraft had a huge impact on tabletop gaming. Many people consider 4th edition D&D to be a reaction to World of Warcraft. Now how true that is and isn't, I can't really say because I also didn't play 4th edition. But there's a lot of people in the community on one side or the other. Overall I'd say that Wizards of the Coast proved to be a boon to the hobby as that company and its founder and CEO Peter Atkinson prove themselves to be good shepherds of the legacy started by Gygax and Arneson. They've shown many times that they want to hear from their customers and provide them with a product that they'll cherish. In the next episode, I'll bring us up to date with modern D&D in the 2010s and the release of 5th edition as the streaming world took off. This has been History in D&D. Haddad! I hope your day is free of thunderbolts.